Welcome to the Legal One podcast brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we're thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is approximately 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get important information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing crucial legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other important stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of those issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Legal One podcast. My name is John Worthington. I'm an education law specialist at Legal One and New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association. And by way of quick background, I am an attorney, not an educator. I worked for the state of New Jersey for 30 years as a deputy attorney general representing the Department of Ed and primarily in special education for 20 years at the department. I was involved in the legal and policy work there, retired as the state special ed director, and then joined Legal One uh, four and a half years ago. And with me today is Gita Vogel, an educator. She's been with the Legal One for about the same amount of time as me. Before that, she was working as an administrator, a teacher, a principal, and I think primarily, um, or at least the position that she was most passionate about, special education director. She did many years working in that area and was always involved in the area, she'll tell you. It's her a passion for. She works with us here now at Legal One. She's in the L2L program. She's a mentor, district liaison, does a lot of different tasks here. But like I said, our focus is students with disability for Gita and I. And so today we're going to be talking about HIV, harassment, intimidation, and bullying in students with disabilities. So welcome, Gita. It's good to have you with me today. Thank you, John. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. So as I said, today we're going to be talking about HIV or harassment, intimidation, and bullying, and focusing on our students with disabilities. When you're looking at bullying in New Jersey under New Jersey's law, you're not talking about what a lot of people will think of as bullying. The kid is punched on the playground or something, and therefore they were bullied. We're talking a legal definition under New Jersey law. It's a three-part definition. It's very exact in what you have to, the standards you have to meet in order to have been determined to have engaged in bullying bullying in New Jersey. And so when you're looking at the definition, we're looking at gestures, you know, written, verbal, physical acts, electronic communication, probably being about half the bullying in the state, social media and the like, posting things, saying certain things. Um, it could be a single incident. It could be a series of incidents, but it's certainly one is plenty to trigger the definition. It can take place on school property, uh, school-sponsored events, on school buses, or it can take place off school grounds. That's where you're probably going to see the majority of the cyberbullying and the like. It can be at night, off school grounds. All of that counts in the definition of bullying when we're looking at it. Important part of this is you have to look at the gesture act communication. It has to be reasonably perceived to be motivated by an actual or perceived characteristic. So keep in mind, we're looking at the perception of the victim, not the intent of the perpetrator, which is when you're talking about our students with disabilities, it doesn't matter if your disabling condition causes you to engage in the conduct that's determined to be bullying because it's not what's in the mind of the perpetrator or the bully. 
It's how was it perceived by the victim? Was there an actual or perceived characteristic? And was it reasonable to believe there was an actual or perceived characteristic? And so when you met that part of the definition, the second part is you have to have a substantial disruption or interference with the orderly operation of the rights of the school or students or others. It has to have that impact. So when you're looking at the definition and you're saying, okay, what's the impact? If I'm annoyed for a few minutes and then you're over it and there's no longer an impact, that would not be the substantial disruption. You're looking at an impact on attendance, on students' grades. They don't want to go to certain classes. They won't ride the bus. You have to have that actual disruption that impacts someone's school experience, their school days, their ability to attend. And then the third part, you have to have one of these three. You have to have either the effect of or creating a reasonable fear of physical or emotional harm to the student or damaging their property, or you have to have the effect of insulting, demeaning any student or a group of students in your school, or it creates a hostile educational environment for the student by interfering with their education or just, you know, disrupting or causing physical or emotional harm for the student. And so when you meet that three-part definition, as determined by the ABS, who's investigating the bullying cases in the school district, that that's when you have actual HIV or bullying in the state of New Jersey. So when you're talking our students with disabilities, it's important to remember they tend to be involved in the bullying cases more than other students. They tend to be perpetrators more and they tend to be victims more. So they're impacted both ways. They have a higher involvement in these bullying cases. And there's always an impact on our students, any student that would be, but especially students with disabilities. The U.S. Department of Education several years ago issued guidance specifically saying when a student with a disability is a victim of bullying, you have to make sure the IEP team meets. You look at the IEP, the program, the services, make sure that it's still appropriate. If it's not based on the impact of the bullying, you have to amend that IEP and make sure they're getting the appropriate supports and services they need to get their free, appropriate public education going forward. I would say, and you know, the state would, I think, agree with this, you should be meeting whether it's a victim or a perpetrator, checking the impact. The IEP team should always be involved in these cases, making sure that they're aware of what's happening. Case managers should always be contacted when there's a bullying incident. If a student needs to be interviewed, you should know anything about the student that will make interviewing more difficult. What do you need to know? Perhaps have the case manager join you when interviewing students with disabilities to make sure that you lessen the impact on them, get appropriate information, certainly, but also working with the student, meeting their needs as you go along. And so I think, you know, involving special education, always important. And in that regard, Gita, what suggestions? Questions do you have for working with our students with disability when they're involved with an HIV incident in any capacity, victim, perpetrator, even as a witness to the incident? Um, how would you suggest districts work with those students? People working with special, let me start again, John. I, I want to rephrase that. It's important to know the child. The time to get to know the child isn't the time of the occurrence of the HIB or the potential HIB. The time to get to know the child is all the way through the educational process. When talking to the child, make sure, depending on the age, of course, but make sure that they know you accept them. You're not alienating them. You're not ostracizing them. You want to know they need to be honest. 
assist them with any writing tasks that they may have. Create as much of a comfort zone as you can. Comfort zone, meaning that they feel reassured that you will support them. Supporting that special needs child at that point, whether they're the perpetrator or the victim, will help them understand their behavior, especially if they're the perpetrator. What would you do differently? What kinds of things can you think about yourself that might allow you to make a better decision as to your behavior? If they're the victim, those working with a child, and it shouldn't be 10 people either, it should be those individuals directly connected with the child at that point in time who knows them the best. And as I said, that's part of the process that you take on at the very beginning of the year, if not before. Help them understand how they can process what happened. Talk about their feelings. How do they feel about the perpetrator if they're the victim? Ask them if they're the perpetrator, how do you think the victim is feeling right now? It's a little bit like walking in someone else's shoes, but it's also about restorative practice. What's going to make a difference if there's a consequence so that this doesn't happen again? Or to look at it another way, help them make better decisions. You can do scenarios, not scenarios that we would use in teaching. But if this happened, what could you do the next time? Help them build in better choices. With better choices comes better decisions. But know the child. Please don't get to meet the child the day of the incident. Know them from the very beginning. Thank you, Gita. And so you know, you're listening to your answer. It made me think of another question. When you're looking at the child study team, certainly working with guidance, who typically oversees bullying in school districts, the guidance counselors tend to be the ABSs in districts. You know, when they're working together and with the school climate and safety team, addressing the issues that you come up with regard to bullying in the schools, you know, that's run by the affirmative action officer. But when all those pieces are working together. Do you have any other thoughts to share as far as making sure they're doing that work and meeting the needs of students with disabilities that are impacted by these incidents? Again, victim, perpetrator, witness, whatever it might be. Any additional thoughts on that area as kind of working as a cohesive unit with our students with disabilities when addressing these incidents? One of the things that needs to happen, John, is that the groups need to meet more often they need to have a purpose when they meet, look at the environment of the school, look at the extracurricular activities. How are they working? Are the students involved in extracurricular activities that can make a difference? Are the special needs students encouraged to be with gen ed students? Talk to the teachers, go to the soft side of things in school. Look at the, if it's an elementary program, look at the playground. Are things working well there? Task everyone on the committee with something specific they need to look at that contributes to climate and culture. Make the meetings purposeful, but make them happen. Don't postpone because it's raining outside and you need to think about an early dismissal. 
I don't want to diminish the importance of the teams meeting multicultural, multi-sensitive, multi-aware teams of the things that are happening within the school. Bringing all that to the table will help to look at the school critically. What areas do we need to change? What's working well? What's contributing? How involved are the teachers in the hallways, for example, in seeing kids? Look at the kids. Talk to everybody who's involved with a student. Make it a point because there isn't a person working in that school every single day who doesn't get involved with the student one way or another. And also by including everyone, making it a school-wide process, you're letting everyone know how important they are to the child and you're letting the child know that they have an outlet should something be bothering him and they wanna to talk to someone. It gives them something and someone immediate and therefore they don't have to wait for the wrong opportunity to manifest their frustration. So there's new emphasis in what I'm saying on working as a team, but everyone has a task and a responsibility within that team effort. Thank you, Gita. And I wanted to go on to a slightly uh, an additional topic. You know, there's this overarching issues you see in the news and all increased mental health and behavioral issues involving children and adults around the country. I'm not just focusing on the students, so students and staff in the district. I know this is an area of great importance to you. Do you have any thoughts you would like to share on assessing and addressing these issues, you know, the mental health and other issues with both our students and our staff as well in the school districts? There's so much to be said on this topic too, John. As teachers, you need to be good and avid listeners. Sometimes it's not the direct conversation necessarily that will give you information as to the tone and pace of the school, but it's almost what you don't hear. Take a look at what the kids are writing. How are they speaking with one another? and set the tone. I can't tell you how insistent I am when I'm working with the protégés in the L2L program, that they take the time to talk to the teachers, talk to the kids, and then match what they're saying. Is this actually what's occurring? To be a good teacher, to be a good educator, is to be a good listener. I probably end up repeating myself on that because it's so critically important. We talk about the social emotional climate of the school and in another podcast, I referred to the halls smiling. You know, when there's a happy tone in the school, the second you walk in the door, it isn't to say there aren't issues. Please, please, please attend to them. If you see something, say something. If you need advice and you need help, ask for it. Go to someone you trust. You as an adult, if you can feel what it's like to have that trusted individual with whom you can speak, then you understand what it's like for a child who has that same need. No matter what's upon us as educators, the first order of business is to remember nurturance takes on a different meaning at the elementary level 
from the middle school, from the high school. In the high school, we're gonna talk about people feeling wanted, students feeling that what they have to say is important. Not everything that the child is going to say will necessarily be acceptable. It's what we call student conduct. You can help them reroute what they might have said differently. A little bit of thinking exercise. Be ready for that moment of learning that will make a lifelong difference. And I don't say that lightly. Perhaps the most important thing to me now when I go into schools is to look at what I call the mental health profile. And that's among the staff and among the kids. There are so many challenges in that area now that it's almost as if we can't do enough training and at Legal One especially in how to manage the cultural differences that have occurred in the past several years. Know that you make a difference. Know that there's training available. Know that there is someone that you can call. As a principal and as an assistant principal in the school, you might want to take a look at what kinds of resources do you have for the staff? What are the resources for the students? Healthy educators make for healthier students. You can't control what goes on in their individual lives, but you can control to the extent that you are ready to accept changes you need to make as an educator, what goes on in your life. Please, please, please step up if you need assistance. Know who you can approach. Talk to your principal. Maybe it's a counselor. If you have an employee health benefits program, look into that. Never underestimate that your needs are critical as well. Thank you, Gita. And before we wrap up our podcast today, I did want to note for our listeners, the New Jersey Department of Education recently announced through a broadcast that they've received $15 million in a new mental health grant program from the federal government. They're going to receive the money over five years. It should be $3.2 million in year one, around $2.7 million in years two through five. The parameters aren't really set yet, but there will be sub-grants issued to school districts around the state to utilize these funds to address mental health issues in their districts. So, Gita, when you're looking at these grants and districts are preparing, which they should be doing, thinking about applying for these sub-grants and how they'll utilize the funds, do you have any thoughts for what districts should consider when doing this? The thought process that would certainly go into developing the grant application, seeking the funds, and utilizing them to benefit their students going forward. That information is first emerging, John, but please pay attention to the broadcasts that come from the State Education Department. Take a look at our legislative updates and you'll see more information within the next few weeks. The requests for proposals are due in February. State Education Department is speaking the language of mental health they're interested in making sure that every school district knows that they are eligible and will receive the help they need. It's going to be rolled out over a period of time. We're learning more about it daily. Please, as district, pay attention to what you see come through. 
don't think that isn't something that the governor particularly is casting aside and said, this too shall pass. It's more important than ever to understand the resources and hopefully with this new initiative, there will be the resources for the districts to work together with the communities and with the parents ultimately to benefit the child, to promote the essence of better mental health in the schools. So thank you, Gita, for that information. And so thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's podcast. Certainly this and other topics, if you need more information on these, we have extensive materials on harassment, intimidation, and bullying in our Legal One catalog, um, trainings, self-paced courses, things like that, that you can look at on this and a variety of other topics. Go to www.njpsa.org slash Legal One NJ. You can look at our content library. If you want the further information, take a look at that. Take the courses. You know, we encourage you to join us for these courses and then, you know, joining discussions and the like to address the materials. And thank you again for joining us today. Be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.